A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It's Thursday afternoon. You know what I mean? Hello and and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined by fellow Dadly Boy Michael Hamlet to discuss everything that went on on last night's show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we preview and review Raw SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT 2.0. Oh, AW Dynamite, AW Dynamite, AW Rampage, <laughs> pay-per-views, premium live events. We have wrestling interviews on occasion, roundtable discussions. We sometimes answer your questions and host a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. Hamlet, the power's back. Power's back. So much power flying around at the moment. There's yeah. power all week. This was unbelievable. I love this so much. I spoke to you this morning over the desks about this. I've realized that I have my own trifecta. Um, it's different to yours. Yes. No, that's okay. It's our differences of the bonder sometimes. I need BS. I need short-long angles because I'm a bit thick, and I welcome more basic formatting, and I need aesthetics. And they said all three of those out the ass. I don't think this had that killer peak match, but did not all the Dynamites early this year have killer peak matches and not that much that we were really grabbing onto other than killer peak matches? Yes, that's it. I will depend and ex- nay, expect great matches from Dynamite where nothing really rushes past the four star i don't get worried Mm. i get worried when there's a lack of imagination when there's a lack of flair to the booking when there aren't any killer angles because those are the hard bits in wrestling when you've got a roster like that it's the absolute basics to be able to put on a world-class dynamite if you michael hamflet or me michael sidgwick were given the book for a week Mm. and you were told right what matches do you want to see you could put on a killer dynamite yeah it wouldn't be one of the best dynamites. It wouldn't necessarily be this compelling high tier dynamite, but anyone could book a great series of matches with this roster. It'll be all right in the night. It's kind of getting frustrating, isn't it? Yes. In wrestling in general. Yeah. This, oh my God, oh my God, <laughs> was absolutely tremendous in its detail. Completely nailed the trifecta with the exception of that one great, great mm. match. But again, as I said, it happens every other week. Let's not be greedy here. Just the energy the mystery the swerves some of the individual character work here some of my favorite wrestling kinks were just serviced here yeah i would i would agree even though the kinks are sometimes different yeah which truly does like sort of explore the range of this specific dynamite i loved it i like i've been complimentary of the format of dynamite lately um 
And it's been over. It's clearly. Thank you, Kenny. Well, yeah. It's clearly. Uh, a, um, what am I trying to say? Like, it's something that has now become consistent with the show rather than it just being. That was a nicely formatted dynamite this week. Like, I hope we get a bit more of that in the future. We're getting this all the time. Because Kenny's back. Kenny is the power. It feels like he might be because it's just. I'm enjoying them dropping some hooks and then you get in a very immensely satisfying payoff on the night while having just as many big questions and no big answers for next week and for the pay-per-view and so on. It is not doing that kind of long-term rangy booking that only leaves you wanting more. I felt incredibly satiated by a couple of enormous developments on the show in such a way that I almost forgot that there was loads left on the table for me. And that's how it should be. That's weekly episodic wrestling done best. Yeah, this was incredible weekly episodic TV wrestling. I was buzzing to just talk about mm. all of it. I think my ups and downs went 3,000 words this morning, <laughs> uh, which says rather a lot. But we start with what I would describe, and just as a general point, I'm nowhere near as good at Adam Wilborn as a play-by-play. I consider myself an analyst, so if you didn't watch it, and you're not getting the key details, I'm sorry, go and watch it after the podcast because I've already got you. It starts with what I would describe as an improbable over-delivery between Jungle Boy Jack Perry, Jungle Boy Jack, defeating Matt Hardy, who was accompanied, of course, to the ring by Ethan Page. And look, if this was not a particularly good crowd, this match would have been the most two-and-a-half-star special you've ever seen. It wasn't a great match, but it was a pretty good one. Yeah. The crowd were white hot for it. The general story is that Hardy worked over Jungle Boy's back and in a great spot after just grinding it down and grinding it down because Matt Hardy realizes that, look, he's a special young athlete. I can't really compete with him in that domain. I'm just going to wear him down and hit his back and hit his back. And then Jack Perry just went, I'm going to do the comeback of Lariat because I've been <laughs> perfectly, you sort of fall into a trap here where I can do one of my key moves Um You've got us in the wrong place at the wrong time, basically. So he does that, elbow to the back of the head. There's lots of side effects and everything. It was a nice competitive back-and-forth match that was absolute objective evidence that a hot crowd can elevate everything and Mm. anything because they were really into this. And I would also describe it as a big victory for the firm. It's kind of like this DIY deal that is taking on a life of its own because everyone involved in the story, and of course Tony Khan is a part of it, but... It's got this sort of DIY feel to it where they've lovingly crafted this passion project. And as much as I'm not the biggest Matt Hardy guy, it's just genuinely nice to see it have blossomed, Mm. considering where the firm were from day one, essentially, to what this has evolved into. It's a credit to everyone involved who believed in it. And again, I use that phrase, lovingly crafted. It does feel like this passion project that they're all really into. And the fans are starting to warm to it. Uh, Matt Hardy, it wasn't just half-hearted, delete, delete, it's fun to do live. It felt like they were genuinely into the story. Um, the finish, sees Ethan Page interfere without Matt Hardy knowing another logic gap because they could all just watch the television. I will admit that, of course. Um, but weirdly, and this is the one flaw for me, Hook, who was unceremoniously binned off by Jack Perry about a month and a half, two months ago, yeah. comes to make the save, which I felt made him look a little bit uncool. Um, Hook has developed friendships before, but always at somebody else's urging that he's kind of... He's always the Nelson Munster, to the Martin Prince. Yeah. Uh-huh. This time, the dynamic skewed because Jungle Boy was like, oh, it was fun to team up with them for three weeks and cheers for helping us, but I want to pursue singles gold. So for Hook to still be clinging on feels a bit weird. 
this is a conditional down for me. Literally the only problem I had with this entire show. But maybe it's going to turn heel at some point. But what were your thoughts on all of it? Oh, so you know when um like you might have a lapsed fan friend or just somebody that you've you like online or whatever, just said, oh, this was really good. And you kind of feel a bit guilty as analysts, as we try and be, where you're like, you're just being too anecdotal. And you're just suggesting, well, this thing is hot or not hot because I think it is. Yes. And there's no other way to say it beyond what you think it is. I, I, I've got the worst version of that because this isn't even somebody else that I've seen. It's just me. I get it now. Ethan Page and Matt Hardy, I get it. I think a lot of people do and it was it, echoed in this arena. In that entrance, I got it. Ethan, pa- I could not take my eyes off Ethan Page's face because I was waiting to see his disdain, or I was waiting to see his kind of, I don't like, just general unhappiness with the bizarre situation he has found himself in with Matt Hardy. But to that music and to a crowd that were responsive to Hardy, he just seemed to go with it. He's leaning in a bit, and now that I can see that, I can buy why Matt Hardy might have an arm around his shoulder and say, you know what, you need to take on whoever their rival is. And we can all of a sudden get back on side with Matt Hardy being like, I'm bringing these idiots down. They've actually fallen into my trap and I'm going to take them down one by one. I've had Stokely get his ass kicked by hook and my next trick that I'm going to play is to get Ethan Page in trouble. Or do these become so earnest together that you kind of don't want to see them split? And it's like fa- Chase University. Indeed. It, like, is it the sort of thing where like Ethan Page is gradually... So warm as this character that has come to, uh, he's grown accustomed to Matt Hardy's face. Yes. But they have no choice but to actually be friends. And either as heels and baby faces, they just end up staying together. I don't know. But my investment in the act, all of a sudden, as you say, kind of like, as with these as with this crowd, elevated this match. I was just suddenly engaged. Perfect opener. Like, really good. Odd, you'd never have said that this time never. yesterday. Never. Ever. Like, just, I would have ne- this would have been buried in one of the quieter slots on the show, which again, I think those quieter slots, with the exception of the women, as usual, disappearing, those generic slots of where we expect things to go, disappearing because Dynamite's had a much needed... They're just like it's those little tricks where, you know, they pull the tablecloth away. All the still pieces stay in place, yeah. but it's just nice to have somebody do it and just like just have things move around a little bit on the table. This couldn't have gone any better in that respect. Matt Hardy versus Jungle Boy felt like the only weak link on this card, yeah. and it, it absolutely wasn't. Um, the hook, Inexplicably hot. Yeah, the hook thing I have, like, less concerns over, but I do take your point. Typically, he's been courted, and this almost feels like he's having to court Jungle Boy, and it's just not just not Hook's not the same, energy, so, is it? Yeah. So, yeah, do something with that. But the firm, out, like, feels feels like out of nowhere. Even 24 hours ago, I didn't feel kind of what I'd do for Paige and Hardy and It's now. not. They've lovingly crafted this. Yeah. Go this way the entire time. So, fair play to the goddamn firm. And you know what? Fair play to bloody Matt Hardy. Um, when Jungle Boy, Jack Perry, has his hand raised... MJF comes out for the confrontation to further build that four-ways pillar match, which increasingly looks like it's heading for double or nothing. Mm -hmm. And I genuinely think this is a really good idea at this point. What I really like about this is that it's a completely different, unique means of building a four-way match. You're not just having people do promo trains. Obviously, they did that the first week. You're not having people come out and interfere in the other one's matches, and then that's how you get different people. It feels like this is the first step in layering subplot on top of subplot on top of subplot and we're going to get different iterations of this exact segment every week where sammy might come out to ruin mjf day yeah next week hopefully him and not darby i think it makes more sense and then darby and mjf can have the one-on-one confrontation 
And then I think Sammy Guevara needs to defeat Darby Allen because they've got that history. And it's all intertwined and it's all very, very nice. And they've carefully tended to it. It's like a garden hamlet. <laughs> um, like legitimately, though, over the past three years. And um, the only flaw really is that everyone has a stake to this title shot other than Sammy. And Darby has kicked Sammy's ass every single time, mm. more or less. Um, but ultimately, I think Sammy has beaten... Derby once, but it was with Andrade's help. Certainly, of all the matches they've had, Derby's like far and ahead the better kayfabe pro wrestler. Yeah. But regardless, I want to see something like this every week to build several like singles matches within one fatal four way. I think they're uh, four way match. I think they're really onto something here. But MGF comes out, world title, confronts Jungle Boy, and is incredibly nice to him. And I bought it. He mentions their history. He says, look, after Double or Nothing 2020, we had this undercard show stealer. It was fantastic. And I realized with a little bit of apprehension after the fact that Jack Perry might be on my level. What I loved about that line is that you're putting someone over, credibly because the match itself was fantastic. But the match itself was structured around that very idea with the mirror sequences when they were upside down, slapping each other in the face. Like, it was all carefully built and integrated here. And MJF basically said, look, I gave you some advice. You've kind of got to take the low road. And Jack Perry did not take it. And um, MJF said, look how it turned out for you. Look like it how, look how it turned out for me. And in a really good babyface promo, that took a while to get there. And I would also use that phrase to describe this segment, which really got there in the end. Jack Perry just had the fire and the moral scruples to say, I would rather take years to do this, to do it the correct way. The crowd really liked that. He's still this really sympathetic baby face. He articulated it brilliantly. And once MGF realized, I can't manipulate this guy, I'm just going to say that you've got no cock. <laughs> you got no cack. What do you say? Like, are you weak between the knees? Yeah, weak between the knees, because that's what, that's what you're Soft weak. cock, small cock. Uh, I would bit say, of both. I would say a bit of both. And because he referenced Anna J specifically, doesn't know what to do with it. A hot piece of ass. So your hot piece of ass backstage. So it's so you're soft, small, and Captain Come Quick. Yes, Captain Come Quick, or like just that's kind of all he's got is a soft, quick coming cock. Yeah, <laughs> like Jungle Boy. He's got he's got no four play game or anything like that. Like just really like terrible. Just useless. Just useless. It's a terrible shy game. Just useless from below the waist. Even though, you know, he looks like... I mean, he looks, Jesus Christ, a man can go. Yeah. He's, a, he's a literal jungle boy that is now a man. Yeah, he yeah. probably goes better than anybody else in the fucking locker room. Yeah, absolutely. So what did you think of it all? Um, really great. Really great. Um, this was that cool pro wrestling magic where a great talker elevates a not quite as great talker with by burying him. This is what John Cena so wishes good. he could do for Austin that Theory. That was pretty good. Yeah. Took you four years, but you got there. Like, wishes he could do that for Austin Theory. Wished he could do it for Roman Reigns, but in the way where it's wrestling and it's cooperative and it's collaborative. You know, it's the old, you know, it's at this point, it gets said so often it's boring, but this idea that you're supposed to put them over before you bury them. Did this, it in one line? Yeah, this was the one really cadence. very elegant way of doing that. And I'll tell you what I really like about your point about the individual feuds that get set up rather than it being four people constantly brawling it's a series of singles matches nothing um elevates the prestige of this match by constantly referencing these men's history you should compare where mjf is to all three because it tells this story whether it's true or not and it is for the most part but you can fictionalize it anyway it tells this story that 
four men have been on a journey for four years and one of them's made the top, and why haven't the other three? We did talk about MJF and Jungle Boy like it would be this legacy program, and like they might have gone back to it like three times by now, and they haven't. Yeah. One's just been on the rocket ship, and the other one hasn't. And I just think that elevates all of them. You kind of, I think if if you'd have not done this, and instead just had them all brawling, it would have been a bit like one of those NXT tell-don't-show pandemic things. We're putting them all together, and we're going to show you video packages, because it definitely happened, we promise. We're just going to ignore when this character skewed off in this direction, this yeah. one skewed off. By kind of admitting that there have been significant differences in the roads that these four men have travelled, you are at least reminding your audience that they've been on a road and they've been sort of trying to get to this point. And I just think it makes it feel all the more important. It obscures as well that maybe with the exception of Darby Allen, none of these singles matches are pay-per-view title matches yet. Yes. Which is a failure of the booking that you've now hidden and instead come up with a really creative solution to that problem. I could not say anything more. Like, I could not praise this anymore, basically. Mm. I think they've taken this really, really interesting route, and that's great, a great point as well. Because I wouldn't necessarily think, oh, MGF Jungle Boy. Yeah. Maybe even oh, MGF Derby. That's the one I could really, but like the fact that they are having, they're baking like a baker's bakery full of cakes with this, and eating <laughs> them all. It's genuinely really quite an interesting route. Like, it's really, really elegant, like good work, and yeah. really, really good stuff. Um, I might be all over the place here because I want to integrate a lot of things at once. But Alex Marvez interviews backstage um, Kenny Omega, who at the behest of Don Callis. Um, So I knew this was going to happen. I told everyone last week. It's like telling Jimi Hendrix how to play the 12-ball blues. (laughs) Kenny Omega knows that he is part of a broadcasted professional wrestling show. But they also realize that part of the contrivance is that you kind of have to develop misunderstandings and all the rest of it. But they just tackled it head on. And Don Callis, with this absolutely brilliant, almost Heenan-esque grisp, uh, grasp of reality, fell over. Such a <laughs> bloody idiot. I fell over in the middle of the ring. But why did you automatically assume that Hangman Page took me out and with a fantastic deadpan, Kenny Omega went, he's punched you before. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it was a very muted delivery, you can still hear the crowd pop. But nonetheless, he says, I don't know why you just automatically assumed that would happen. But hey, hey, I'm just going to see Hangman Page and just set everything right. We'll go back to this very, very quickly. Uh, we also got a video package of uh, the acclaimed in 2.0 having their night out at the hockey game. Carousel rides, a big dinner, yep. a big invisible camera almost. Oh, yeah. Never thought, I didn't even think about that, yeah. At Chris Jericho's urging, what's going on here? I was trying to put this all together and the Rampage review or preview with uh, Willborn. Yeah. Jericho is feuding with the House of Black, uh-huh. I think. Well, the JAS are feuding with the House of Black, the Acclaimed, and now Adam Cole. <laughs> what? How does this all tie together? That's peak Jericho, that is it. Like, I'll <laughs> take, I'll take, I'll, I'm hardcore, I'll take all three. Who's over? <laughs> uh, like, all of them at the minute, I'll just take them all. He's already um, done Kenny in Winnipeg. This was, I would describe as mildly amusing, but the crux of the segment, if you missed it, is that after they got wined and dined. Uh, but did they not already reject them twice? Yes. But now they're trying to wine and dine them a little bit. Okay. So now that they've tried that, they said, look, well, what do you say? Are you in or out of the JAS? That's the whole reason why the segment existed. And they said, oh, we'll tell you live next week when the answer will be. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we'll do a preview, but um, it does not really need one. It's Indy Hartwell. Cindy Hartwell. 
So we get John Moxley, Claudio Castagnoli, and Wheeler Yuta of the BCC in a massacre against Dalton Castle <laughs> and the boys, which was absolutely perfect. Absolutely majestic. They look so happy to yeah. be there, to put on a show. They got murdered. Oh, my God. It was brutal. It was horrible. It was violent. It was over in a flash, like I imagine an actual murder would be. Claudio is obviously, like, what, 6'5 or something? He massacred one of the boys from behind. Did it like was running at such pace that he fell over as he was doing it, but he just fell on top of the boy. Yeah. So like his body is just consuming him at this point. He's like, well, I'm down here, and he just keeps wailing away. The cuts, right? So obviously it's it's kind of given to Claudio, which is smart booking because it doesn't you don't need to say you don't need to hit people over the head with bang, bang, bang. It's Eddie Kingston for the belt at Ring of Honor, Supercard of Honor, but you put him front and center to win the match. He's hard, and there's a fan base that is watching the show. Like remembering what he what he did the the damage he caused in the middle of the ring on Wednesday night, the quick cuts so quick the commentators couldn't even call them to the stuff happening on the outside was incredible. Yeah, what a great choice that was. It was like like it was uh, news coverage of just arrived at a crime scene and don't quite know what to film. Yeah, so yeah. it's like there's two separate chokeouts happening on the floor while there's a masker in the middle. It's like well uh, he's in trouble. He's oh there's one two three. It's done. Yeah, done. It was incredible. Love this. This was so so well done. Um. Between this and the next bit of development, um, losers who need thick losers who need exposition got what they wanted <laughs> because we've got a really nice, mercifully brief because you don't want to just spoon feed everything video package highlighting why Kenny Omega and Jeff Cobb are wrestling. It's because they didn't really illuminate this, but Jeff Cobb kind of had Kenny Omega's number in the surprise tag match at New Year's Dash. Hanare took the pin. Cobb looked like a big threat to Omega. And Cobb basically said, I've been calling you out. You you couldn't beat me. You couldn't pin me in that tag. Um, and Kenny was like, yeah, okay. Well, come to America. Let's really find out once and for all. Then we go backstage. Alex Marvez, roving reporter, interviews Hangman Page, um, who said that, look, Nick has got a separated shoulder. Matt has a partially torn bicep. Marvez said who attacked them. And Page outright said it's the BCC. Yeah. Has he been told? Did he actually see it? And he said... BBC? Did he misspeak? Was he mocking them? Or what? Like, because if you go back and watch it, he says, oh, we know, it's the BBC. So, like, is that a bit, of a, a bit of a deal? Like, and I don't mean the glorious institution that we have over here, I mean the rude yeah, kind. Yeah. Was it that? Or was it uh, a dig? Was it a bit of a knock? Because he doesn't like them and he wants to undermine them. I don't know. Yeah. Have you made the mistake? I think I might have at some point. Maybe. Yeah, I think I've made the mistake. <laughs> um, and then he's... This is when Don Callis enters the picture and he says, look, I fell down. What an idiot. I just, I made a fool of myself there. Really sorry. I fell down. Obviously, it had nothing to do with you. They clarified it after it happened. Um, but this is when the BCC run in, brutalized page. Incredible BCC stuff again. These actors on fire. They are horrible in the most entertaining way imaginable. Moxley, the kill, Hangman Page. Callis has stood there the entire time. <laughs> With his hand outstretched as if to say, if I run, they'll catch me. I'm just going to try and be their friend. And he lingers very awkwardly but brilliantly for like 30 seconds. Moxley turns around, looks at him, and a one-two combo. The horrible but brilliant sunglasses come off Callus's face. Then he gets punched. And then apparently when he falls down, um, he juices a hardware gusher. And it was described by um, Brian Alvarez of Wrestling Observer Live a hatchet wound appeared <laughs> in his face and he was hospitalized overnight. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's rough. I'm so uh, so much of a husk when it comes to callus 
part of me feels that's a, it's a worked shoot. Like, that was very much supposed to happen and then be reported as if it wasn't supposed to happen. As if now we are all Kenny Omega. And we've seen the video footage and yet can't make head and a tail of it. And so yeah. Callis explains. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it sort of feels like there's an inception thing going on because Callis is that guy. Maybe not. Maybe it was just a complete accident. And in wrestling, blood is often a happy accident. You can film it and you can see it. It just made me think about how, like, I love him. Of course we love him. It's Brett. Love Brett. But, like, I love that Brett was so proud of his WrestleMania 8 blade job not being caught by Vince while Ric Flair's in contrast was. My argument, Brett, I love you, would be that the only reason yours wasn't caught is because Ric Flair's was so blatant because yeah, I yeah. Mean, how it made it look at you. Yeah. Like you're wrestling, you. you're wrestling bleeding. And like it's just Callis bleeding to that and that extent off a BC attack almost feels too good to be true. Yes. But the story is tremendous and obviously I hope he's fine and everything is cool with that. I also want to praise, to your point about just there being so much thought and the detail and the power being back, um... Alex Marvez has been cast as the roving reporter for the Kenny Callis scandal stuff. He's just always there in the bloody locker room getting in the way. So it stands to reason that he would be the guy speaking to Paige when Don Callis walks in. But because the BCC are going to be part of this, he needs to for this to make sense because it cannot be Renee while her husband's being such an arsehole. Yeah. So I really appreciate the, the level of thought of how is this picture going to look? You know the amount of times we used to criticise the interruptions? And it's like, this is stupid for like eight different reasons let's pick on them yeah like this is clever for just as many reasons yeah you can't find fault you can't see the gaps anymore and i really really appreciate that it's so bizarre that when tony khan has given himself so much to do mm. he still can do this as well yeah i don't know how he does this he's brilliant what he does the bcc attacks specifically moxley's on grace and this one here i love that the match now isn't the beginning, middle, and the end of the BCC's night. They feel like a group of horrible bastards ready to just commit atrocities wherever. Like, if you're at work over the two hours that Dynamite is on the air, you're in bother. Yeah. Because you might fall afoul of the BCC. It's not just, oh, they've had the match, they've they've left. Thank God. You know, they were on first tonight, so we can relax. You're not allowed to relax anymore because the BCC are never not around and looming, and I love that. So what? I'm trying to tie this down, and I know I'm not going to get the answer yet, but... Asking the questions is itself the joy here. What on earth is Don Callis up to? I'm really trying to... It's very slippery. Mm. He's playing a very complex game. He only knows what the game is, what the rules to the game are, and what his motives are. So he's opportunistically found himself in the situation where he's thrown himself to the floor, knowing that people will know that he's done this for reasons. I know they'll have a destination. I know they'll have a plan. What's going on? Is he scared or fearful that Paige and Omega might unite? They might realign. So he's orchestrated this ruse, knowing that it's just outwardly he could pick it apart, and then he's come up with this explanation and tried to gaslight Kenny Omega. So is he trying to real? Is he realizing Paige and Omega are coming close together? This isn't a good thing. Is that because? Paige is just a thoroughly nice guy, and if Omega sort of comes back to him, he can realize our oh, callus has been the problem the entire time. So is he trying to cause this rift, or by is he trying to intentionally bring them together with the idea being that he thinks the Bucks are the ones holding his cash cow back from working more serious matches, just bringing Paige and Omega back together? He knows from Revolution 2020 that they can beat the Bucks, get them out of the picture for good, What's going on? Is he 
working Kenny Omega too hard knowing, right, he hasn't got much time left. I'm just going to put him in these big matches, get the last trips of the cash cow, um, and then in the background I'm lurking and Takeshita's going to be my new meal ticket. But Omega's got a bit left. I'll work him to the bone until he can give nothing else just in time to have Takeshita. I don't know where all of these pieces fit together, but I'm fascinated by it. That last one is the one for me there. Um, when Callis and Kenny first got together, Kenny was vindicated by his choice to listen to Callis as the invisible hand because the plan got him to the world title. So Callis didn't have to constantly fight and vie for Kenny's trust. Yeah. Wearing the belt. So much so that Kenny was the one to say, I know Callis is an arsehole, Matt and Nick. Come with us. Look at all these belts. Yeah. And Gallows and Anderson are kicking around. We're having a right laugh. Yeah. We've got a big truck. Like the uh, so limo. Yeah, we got ah! we got a big limo. So like Matt and Nick are like, aye, all right then. Fine. Like we'll not go with we don't really know John Moxley, right? We'll go with you. Why not? Now that this is all the other way around, and Kenny is in fact found his validation yet again with the young books, the people who we really should have been with instead of Callis all along. Callis is acting after they lost the trios title was a man pretty dejected with seeing that Kenny is starting to wind down, seeing that Kenny with the books is a weaker version of his meal ticket. And he's got Kinesio tape and a heavily bandaged yeah. elbow as a visual cue. Seeing the time ticking away. So it's to your point, it's the, right, how many money matches can I get out of Kenny? And it's the answer is, well, not that many, but maybe if you get them done as quick as possible, you'll at least get them through. Don Callis is getting his 10% from last week. He's getting his 10% from this week. He's lining up title shots. He's doing all this sort of stuff, as you say, while grooming... To Kester, so that you kind of the two things come together, the two things collide. The weaker Kenny is getting at Don Callis's behest, the easier it's going to be for Takeshita to be, impossibly for the US title, yeah. even, or certainly in a big high profile match, at which point Callis potentially reveals the ruse. But in um, kind of turning the screw with Kenny and Page, when he finally turns on Kenny and he finally leaves him behind, he wants to damage Kenny and Page so much that they won't have each other. Yeah. So he needs to he needs to put that in a weakened state before he can fully abandon. He needs the young bucks to stay in the hospital forever, and he needs Paige to be like, you know, what, Kenny, I'm sorry, mate. This is not. I'm a good guy, but this is not worth the hassle. Yeah. Like, good luck with that arsehole, because he's going to turn on you. And then when he does, it's going to have to be Kenny going cap in hand to Hangman Page. Yeah. You were right. I'm sorry. And which will be such a cool. Because I know Kenny was the one. And he, he Callis knows Kenny's not that type of guy. You know what I mean? But, so, like, he will do it, but... But Kenny was the one to originally ask to team with Paige and not the other way around. Yeah. But the dynamic was different there. It was more like, I'll have to lower myself to Paige's level because I can't get it done in singles. Um, but it's all fascinating to me. I'm desperate to know how it plays out, but... Yeah, the, uh, the guy's been dudes moment with uh, Kenny and Hangman. It's still going to just be one of the moments of the gonna, year, Yeah, it's it? going to be the moments and one of the moments, all-time moments in this the entire history of this promotion, yeah. them being a tag team together will make you realise, Jesus Christ, how good did we have it in early 2020 in February. Do you do FTR, win the belts, give them at some point back to the books, FTR books three, and then that's how you get to books page Omega two when the belts are on the books this time? Aye. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? <laughs> I would atone for, I loved the ideas behind All Out, but obviously it just didn't work. Yeah. It could not have worked. So I'd like to see a second go round of that. Let's hope uh, Dax Hall would be good. <laughs> Sorry, I saw somebody on like, you know, like, let's be honest, arseholes that were just like, oh, we can't call him FTR Bald now because he likes FTR Bald. Some rotten people out there. Like, you can't call him FTR Bald because he's made a T-shirt that says, yeah. whatever, FTR Bald. So I've noticed some circles calling him, like, FTR Hair and FTR Podcast. Yeah, <laughs> FTR Podcast is amazing. It's pretty great, isn't it? 
Oh, that's, that's absolutely <laughs> FTR podcast been piping up again. He always does. Yeah. Oh, shuts up. Uh, Tony Schiavone walks up to Kenny Omega before he makes his entrance. Preemptive. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Tells him this is an important detail for what follows. That, look, Callis and Hangman Page have been attacked by the Blackpool Combat Club. Omega's like, well, that's not good. <laughs> I've got a match to work here. And it was Kenny Omega defeating Jeff Cobb to retain the IW, IWGP United States Championship. And I would describe this entrance as... Um, Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wanted it to happen. I asked for it to happen. I manifested it to happen, and it happened. I knew it was going to happen. Yeah, rule, man. Didn't it? it was so good. He's um, it's like two kinds of megastar. If you look at this entrance, and then last week's more AEW, but also perfect entrance. You just turn it on. It's like that. Well, I think he's so. Switched on. I could be just overstating his brilliance here. But I think he's so it's switched on. It's impossible to do that. You got the press conference Devil Sky before the Osprey match, and you got the tag match with Okada Devil Sky. But to be honest, the tag match with Okada, you were in such heaven that it was like, oh, my God, they're doing wacky New Year's dash booking again, that Kenny and Okada are next to each yeah. other. That, like, you almost took that second one for granted. And we all sat together here in the office to watch uh, Osprey and I don't know games. So it was the one thing that was missing for me was not getting in the dome. Yeah, it was not getting that like the full court press for Kenny Omega in the Tokyo Dome. And a little bit of me knows that like they're the listening company. He's so clued up and switched on. That he's just like, why would I not save? the I'm winning the belt. Why would I not save that? Like the big entrance, my big title defense. Yeah. And then he gives you, um, like he gives you a battle cry last week. And it's just. Why not drip feed these things out? Yeah. It's it's smart business at this point, I think, if you're Kenny Omega, to make them all feel, I don't know, individual. Like it's making every experience count yeah. extra, and that's the exact type of wrestler he is. So why would he not think that about these details as well? I can remember literally everything, every single thing he's done this year. Just yeah. every, he's just the best. He's the absolute best. Um, so he defeats Jeff Cobb. I would describe this match as more intelligent than like incredible apologies for the alliteration there, <laughs> in that it wasn't blow away great, but the level of thought that went into it was tremendous, and as you'd expect from Kenny Omega, and I've got a, an analogy that you might like mm-hmm. uh, coming your way imminently. So the story of the match, and it feeds from the story of last week's match, last week's match with El Hijo del Vikingo, that Vikingo targeted Kenny's abdomen, which sort of, re-aggravated his sort of like chronic hernia pain that he's been selling um, throughout his return from All Out last year um, with the 630 centons and all the rest of it. So that means when he's facing a monster like Jeff Hobb that he struggled to lift him up anyway, but he's doubly knackered yeah. because he's selling this injury. Look, I know the, the Kingo match came together very, very quickly, so I can't say he's thought about this months in advance, but I just think he's looked at the schedule it's been brought to him. He's like, right, I need to do this to make this make sense. And he just always thinks one week ahead at an absolute minimum. It's just so nice to watch Kenny Omega with like an arc. Yeah. There's just no one like him. There's just no one like him. So he can't, um, he can, the Polish hammer barely works because Jeff Cobb, as Excalibur called it, was a brick wall. So he did not budge. He gets him over with a Frankenstein to the outside, Terminator dive, then Cobb, with his unreal superior strength, takes control. And Kenny Omega's selling in this match. The way he works a big man, the way he works this really consistent and believable um, nagging injury that he suffered or re-aggravated from a prior match, 
between Vikingo and Cobb and the selling and the way he told this story. This is the closest Kenny Omega's got to Bret Hart in 1993, King of the Ring. Oh, yeah. This is a Bret Hart performance, I thought. This is the closest Kenny, in terms of structuring a match and intelligently working a big man, was not unlike Bret Hart. I'll have some of that. Like, eat. I would say, like, to uh, to quote our good friend Elia Dragunov, like, this was very entertaining. Very entertaining. This is, like, I just thought this was really, really absorbing. It wasn't electrifying, but there are different ways to skin a cat when you're watching pro wrestling. It was John Moxley, wasn't it, on the sessions where he was saying, like, he's kind of sick of just it having to be dropped down, like, lock up, all that sort of stuff. Like, all down, generate, yeah. this is awesome like, chance. He, he wants to do the three-minute classic, and you know, it can be done. You know, like, he wants to somehow... Get Marina Shafir over. He wants to do these seemingly impossible things and he's going to keep trying. And like Kenny Omega has kind of been on that racket for years. Yeah. Truthfully. Like, that's not to dig Moxley out or anything, but like, I think Moxley just sees it from a TV wrestling perspective where Kenny Omega has never looked at wrestling other than the way he looks at wrestling. Yeah. And for this, like, I like, the, I like the idea of the King of the Ring thing because my take from this is that he was like Kenny Omega now is yet again for like, what, the fourth time in AW probably? doing his working hurt bit, but tying it to the stories in at the time. Yeah. So previously, it's been Rust for AW launching. Then it was, I'll come back to you soon because I'm paranoid that I've got, and I've got FOMO that you're going to pick Hangman Page instead of me, making the call to the Young Bucks. I'm, I'm good, let's go. Yeah, yeah. Trios division, and, you know, the, the compression vests and all that. Now we're in another one where he's going to be beaten down and weathered because Callus is sending him out there like every single week. He's his meal ticket. That's what, like, you're seeing the body break down again. This reminded me, and it was quite fitting that it was Jeff Cobb, of, like, your fifth match in the G1, where, like, you're not going to see Kenny Omega knock it out of the park every single G1 show, but it's never going to be rubbish. Yeah. It's never, ever going to be rubbish. And this, it's never, not, it's never not going to be very good. Yeah. And, like, on those cards, you've got, you know, Kevin Kelly and often sometimes Don Callis saying, oh, well, we saw... Kenny absorb the neck trouble in his match against whoever, or we know he's been carrying that heel injury since night one or whatever. Yeah. This was, he's not good. Like, Vikingo was seven days ago. And think about the, the like the toll that must have on Kenny's body and the fact that he's coming right off the back of this, the best of seven series, which led straight into this, like, trios, like, trios title defense, which then fed into another trios match in Winnipeg with all the euphoria of being home and just giving it, like, full beans to try and get over in front of your home crowd. He's knackered. Kenny Mega is absolutely knackered, and Don Callis is, like, has got no duty of care to him whatsoever. And that being the story that plays out to take us to the point where he either loses the US title or he loses a big match or needs the help of others... I think is going to be fascinating. Like, every Kenny Singles match is going to carry a little bit of that. Yeah. And he's just going to make it make sense within the context of wherever he's fighting. He's As you say, this week, it was a big man. But there's going to come a point where, like, I'm not, I'm not saying Tony Khan's going to do this, but just imagine if he does, by the way. Imagine the graphic drop of... Remember over last year's Supercard, where they said, oh, it's Bucks FTR2 on Dynamite next week? Yeah. What if it's Brian Kenny on next week's Dynamite, right? And that cell is going to be the, the technical guy. Like, he's just going to be twisted and turned by Brian and he's going to be outworked and outkicked by Brian and you're just going to see Kenny again continue Hey there, it's Michelle Norris I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home and one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain and Airbnb allows me to do that When I was in California recently I rented a house that had a great kitchen and when we were sitting around the table we're all thinking we're in someone else's house someone could be in all of our homes as well 
if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be Big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Hobble, he might win, but like Hobble is way to victory. Yeah. Like he's just the best sports-oriented storyteller, the best storyteller, full stop, in professional wrestling. He's great. So, yeah, as I said, that he struggles to take Cobb off his feet. That's like the central thread because they're building the idea that he can't do the one-winged angel. They do eventually trade bombs, uh, V-trigger, uh, snapdragons, and then Cobb hits this absolutely awesome lariat, turns him inside out. Yeah. But we eventually reach a point... Uh, where he can sort of opportunistically realizes that he's hovering by the rope, so he can use that for leverage to hit the one winged angel, which is great. One more thing before we get to the post match. This is spot. And again, this is Kenny Omega. This is what separates Kenny Omega from literally everyone who has ever lived and stepped foot in the <laughs> professional wrestling ring. Ostensibly, the Superplex is a terrifying high spot that would kill mm. because of excess. Because we've seen it one million times, it never really feels like that. The way Kenny flailed when he was like getting stole, like a stalling superplex by Jeff Cobb, the way he was like flailing, it was like, where's he going to end up? Mm. Like, where's he going to end up? And the bump was so good, obviously, that when he is just a superplex, that should be oxymoronic, but it isn't. When it is just a superplex, it's still like this nerve shredding thing. Yeah. Because he's just the absolute best to do this. So what happens is, and again, the thought that goes into this week to week, month to month, is that Kenny Omega narrowly avoids um, the threat of Jeff Cobb. He wins. Hangman Page has been decked by the BCC, like brutally. Three of them as well. The books are hospitalized. Um, Cutler and Nakazawa are goons. They <laughs> can't really do useless. anything. They're useless. Brilliantly so, yeah. but useless. So that makes, this angle makes sense, that makes it doesn't it means it doesn't have to turn into this schmoz where it's just flailing limbs and it's the elite versus bcc it's just so much more clever than that so the bcc beat him down beat him down beat him down our ball for greatness <laughs> greatness 
the Dragons music hits. This is way earlier than I expected. And I was caught up in the magic of the moment. In my fantasy booking head, I've suspected for a while that it's going to be some derivation of the Elite plus an associate or whatever versus the BCC, Anarchy in the Arena 2, double or nothing. Yeah. Didn't expect it to happen so soon. And I knew Danielson would realign with BCC. But I didn't know how because they've kind of been on the outs a little bit with their differing opinions on William Regal and how he was shunted off. And there was stuff with Utah and Danielson that felt like it had just been dropped and they were in conflict about Daniel Garcia joining or whatever. So when Danielson wards off the BCC, you believe it because, as I've just said, they've kind of been on the outside, at least not on the same wavelength for quite some time. He was banging on about, like, sanctity, wasn't he? He was saying, like, this is not BCC, this is not what we're about. Yes. Crucially, Kenny Omega whose head, by the way, is all over the place because of the manipulation of Don Callis, is not a dope for accepting Danielson's hand. Mm. He accepts it. He gets brought to his feet. Wheeler Utah tries to storm the ring. Oh, my God. Kenny Omega tries to make a beeline for Utah, knocks him back off the apron. As this is going on, and you get the best sound in pro wrestling history, that is in Devil Sky, which I heard minutes earlier oh my god the best sound is when a wrestler does something and the crowd goes oh (laughs) literal the oral sound a-u-r-a-l sickles the oral sound of anticipation and i can't believe i can't believe you've done this so danielson with just majestic body language registers what he's about to do and it doesn't happen so long that Kenny Omega is a dope because they think about these things. Revs up to do the Psycho Knee, and... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Broken orbital bone. How's that not happening? Thrills him, man. He, he cleans his clock. Yeah. He, uh, if Wilborn was here, he'd be spending his entire afternoon editing the bleep buttons in this podcast. <laughs> as soon as I watched this, I rewinded it about ten times. As soon as I finished ups and downs and I was on my lunch, well, you know what I treated myself to? My break away from wrestling. I watched this on a loop 20 times. <laughs> he kills him. I love recency bias. That's what your escapist hobby of choice should make you feel. Mm-hmm. Like you're just flooded with endorphins and serotonin and adrenaline and this recency bias. That's the best thing I've ever seen. So that beside you need literally a better executed move than anything in their five-star dream match. It was unbelievable. Well, it was like a receipt for the massive running V-trigger, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, so it was even tied to that, which I just appreciated so much. I this is the man that hits V-trigger, so I can go as hard as I can with this beside you or I can work it. Yeah. As well as the V-trigger is worked, I can use that wrestling dark arts magic to make this look incredible. How the hell do they do it? And that finisher, which I, is... How, how do you do it? How do they do it? I, I, don't, I don't know how they did this. I, it looked so good. It's as well. It's one of the best executions of a move I've ever seen in my life. Well, you know the old adage about how you've got to be able to hit your finisher. This has kind of been proven not true. Get three or four different finishers and just be booked better. But this idea that you've got to hit your finisher on everybody. like, And then an example will be used, like the stunner or Hogan's leg drop or something. It's like, that's why it works. That's not always the case. Like, you can have loads of cool ways to beat guys for one thing. But the Psycho Knee, I really, really associate with... Babyface Brian Danielson or Daniel Bryan. He kind of debuted against Cena to win yeah. the belt as like a babyface. He it's a real fire up hope spot or a fire up and a win type thing. 
It's got this a wig and a prayer move. Yeah, a little bit. It's like it's it can be this cool targeted assault, but often it's there for his hail mary, and often he's done a big yes chant before he did it. He brought brought the yes chant out for the first time in the MJF match, didn't he? Yeah, like to try and power it up almost. And the best in the world can pivot and make those things sound like the cruelest attacks, yeah. and that's what this was. This was somehow the nasty version of the nice moment that we've been what he's been doing this about 10 years, and he's made it this kill shot all of a sudden, and I think that's so impressive. They did it a little bit. He baby-faced. The, um, he started doing the holding-the-arm stomps when he turned heel on AJ Styles, didn't he? Yeah. And that got baby-faced as part of, oh, the Blackpool Combat Club are bloody hard, aren't yeah. they? You know, these people you don't like, they're going to stomp their teeth out, and it became this, like, quite almost, hey, we're stomping them together. This is the flip of that, and I just thought this was such a devastating kill shot. And it like when he locks a submission on, and those bastards just get in and kick Kenny while he's locked in there. Yeah. Was it a little bell lock he had him yeah, locked yeah. in? Just to, to kick his body as he's oh in that. Yeah. Are you oh friggin' God. kidding me? As far so, as like gang beatdowns go. Oh my God. It's so good. It is so good. I keep going back to that image, and you don't see it at the time. And when you rewatch it, you don't see it. Look at Kenny Omega's body at dra- uh, Grand Slam against Danielson, and look at it now. Mm. He is holding on to that body and what's become of it for dear life to give you this special classic against Danielson. He looks like a completely different 100% human being in that ring against him now. What they can do together terrifies me for how good it could be and how hard it'll go. Jesus Christ. The only thing, it's not a thing. It's not a thing. They addressed the fact that they could have watched last week's angle this week. It's a pivot from... A very heart-wrenching babyface promo um, the last time we saw Danielson on Dynamite to this cruel bastard like coming back out of his shell. The explanation is happening, and it's going to be great. Well, We kind of talked about this a little bit over the desk this morning. It's Maxwell Jacob Fiendman. Like, this really puts over what MJF does to people, how he can impact you, how losing to him can be, can bruise your ego and, like, just arrest your psyche and change your mind about everything. Ties up with the Mox and Hangman. Like, Mox ultimately was like, well, that's it. I've been decisively beaten. Embarrassed. Embarrassed a bit. And now I'm in a foul mood and I'm going to take it out on everybody else. Uh And I'm going to overcompensate by being even more violent. Yeah. I loved it. This angle was so... Fantastic. Did anybody call it? Like, as oh, well, this is the stuff that you want a fantasy book because you love it, and then you want to be surprised by the thing you didn't think of. That's, I've said that all the time with AEW when it's operating at peak. Yeah. This is peak stuff. It's peak. Absolutely goddamn peak. In uh, two seconds, I'm not a professional like Wilborn, so I've lost track of where we are. Bear with me. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Orange Cassidy next. It is, but before that, just looking at my notes, uh, we get... Yeah, that was it. Honestly, my... Writing's terrible. Uh, FTR, oh yeah, obviously challenging the guns. So we get a video package where the guns um, accuse, um, essentially, FTR of playing this pretty uh, political game where they leave and the politic their way into a title shot with some rather dreary social media activity. (laughs) And I mean... Folks, where's the lie? And then we got Orange Cassidy defeating the Butcher to retain the AEW International title. Um, I think a lot of the Yanks I saw on Twitter were like, I got butchered, no pun intended, uh, by the uh, adverts, but I watch it on fight. So I saw all of it, and all of it was really pretty damn good. I described this in ups and downs, which if you want to 
transcript of this podcast. Whatculture.com slash WWE as the butcher has had this really interesting journey. I thought that he obviously was the bass player in Every Time I Die. Mm. And he just decided, I really like wrestling. I'm going to do a bit of that. Turns out he wanted to do wrestling first, trained to be a wrestler first, or in parallel, suffered a bad injury and was like, oh, well, I can make money in music. Yeah. And then he went back to it when he just felt a bit better. Um, but even so, he's not had this traditional journey through wrestling. He's not had what anyone would describe as a series of reps. And I think it's just his general essence. is an incredibly lovely man by all accounts. Um, as this sort of bumbling dude, it's very effective for the character that he's playing. And he's sort of Paul Heyman himself. He knows his limitations. Yeah. And he just wrestles around it. And he's got this really cool 80s pastiche grunting heavy vibe to him. I thought he looked so sharp here. Like, everything he did, uh, everything he did didn't look, like, clumsy in a cool and effective and powerful way. I thought he looked sharp. Like, he cut Cassidy down to size. And, like, Cassidy was at his complete mercy because he took most of this. And there's a spot where I would never expect anything as intricate from the butcher. Maybe I'm underselling how good he really is. Where Cassidy's about to do Stun Dog Millionaire. And then the butcher sort of stops in midair and is about to powerbomb him, and then they do the DDT spot. Yeah. Like, some really intricate stuff, and Butcher looked really, really sharp. He looked like he'd been at this for far longer and more consistently than he has. They got there to a near fall, that is. But pretty cheap Cassidy device at this point, where he takes a pipe, but he still kicks out a 2.9. But the guys, mm. maybe they didn't get anybody else. Maybe I just love the Butcher, but um, best friends equalized, and then Cassidy defeats the Butcher. I like this a lot, If I even though I didn't get got by it, I will say that. This was sort of, um, it's funny you mentioned about like the Orange Cassidy device, because I did kind of think this was the slightly inferior copy of a copy of the, like the Jeff Jarrett match from the other year, like did all the Memphis bells and whistles, and you had like the perfect stable to do it with, and at this point, like this was kind of felt a little bit of a tribute actor, but I didn't find it. A bit of a diminished return. Yeah, it wasn't unenjoyable. Um, the Butcher was great. Orange Cassidy, I have fallen head over heels in love with Orange Cassidy and National Champion. That belt is secondary title beyond the TNT at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I think what it is. What I love about this as like, well is, sorry to interrupt, because I've got a point I'm probably going to forget it because my mind is made of cheese, is that if you look at Revolution 2020, and I do often, <laughs> this feels like the real next chapter if the pandemic didn't happen and all these signings mm. didn't happen. Okay, you've got Kenny Omega and the Elite doing like this incredibly new twist on the storyline. You've got the Pillars actually coming to the main event because MGF had beaten Cody. You'd had um, Jungle Boy having just worked that great match in the February against MGF. You had Darby and Sammy working that really cool feud. That's come back. And now the character arc from Orange Cassidy for, I'm going to try against Pac to, I'm pretty much one of the best singles wrestlers in the entire company. This feels like the real sequel to February 2020, and I think that's why I love it so much. Well, I mean, certainly, as you say, while you've got things like the Elite going on, it does feel closer to it. It certainly feels more yeah. te- more tethered to that original AEW. The, um, there's there's two, thought of, two thoughts of this. One is a completely stolen one from Drain Bamager on Twitter, which I just want to put over this take um, because it's a really, really good one. Um, Orange Cassidy. Drain Bamager is like a very, very a- pro-AEW account. So I don't know what to recommend the follow, but I recommend this specific one. Orange Cassidy has defended this title 16 times, which is the most, according to this Drain Bamager, of every AEW singles champion ever. It's incredible they've made the 
slacker character of the workhorse. Yeah. That is an incredible bit of business, and they've done it almost quietly. Like You just expect your Orange Cassidy title defence at this point, and it's always really effective and always goes down really well in the building. But the thing I really love about this is that, for me, they are kind of, at the moment, they're keeping Cassidy warm. The belt is only it's only ever going to have a ceiling of importance, that international title, but it's as important probably as it'll ever be right now. We'll live in that reign. And maybe you'll lose it in the UK to a, a British wrestler, and that'll help get the international element of it over, or they'll tour somewhere else, and it'll happen. But feels to me like you've got this pillars four-way happening at double or nothing. Orange Cassidy is kind of the show-don't-tell pillar. Because he's yeah. not putting himself in a four-way and saying, oh, when's my turn? Da, da, da. He's just winning yeah. all the time. He's doing it the proper way, and he's got just as much of a right to the pillar tag as any of the rest of them. And I feel like they're setting up a wicked MJF Orange Cassidy program for immediately afterwards. TV, possibly, like an awesome Dynamite TV main event. Or, yeah, it probably have to be because you've only then got Forbidden Door and Full Gear. Is that right? Oh, I'm forgetting the pay view. Uh, you've got Double and Nothing, so that's the four-way pillars. You've got Forbidden Door. you got All Out. But it looks like Cole could be the guy for that. Yeah, maybe. If it was, if if London ends up being TV, you could have MJF say, what about title for title or something like that. Yeah. You know, and you put both belts on the line, it's the international title or something. But I just feel like the kind of, the way they're keeping Cassidy so strong, like it's the, doing the, um, like Bernie Sanders thing, I'm once again asking for Orange Cassidy to finally get his push as a result of yeah. these constantly incredible reactions. Because this was, it was like last year, wasn't it? Forbidden Doorway, it was the Osprey thing. Yeah. Which felt, ah, he's gone to the next level here. And this title run has proven to be how to keep him there. Yeah. I want the next, I want the next level. He's just the best. He's fantastic. I just love how he's the most intelligent wrestler. It's like he's not super lines. young, is he? It's like, he's pushing 40, I think. Like so it's like he's, he's our age. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's a good time to. Get going with that as well. Absolutely. You get two video pre-saves for the next match. Um, a Jade Cargill video package. What was the name? I've not written it down. Um, Legal Processor. Yeah. That was it. It's a indie talent who's going to eat a... Aye. What's the finish called? Was there was Road to Valhalla. Road it? to yeah. Valhalla. Yeah, that's it. So that's going to happen on Rampage. Obviously, yeah. I'm still not. I'm still not not into this match. I know. I want to watch them. I too. want to watch them. Too. I know. I'm watching the delaying tactics and the typical stalling tactics of like, why can't we just have Juice Robinson, Ricky Starks, literally the Rampage after yeah, the running? No, like know. it's that because AEW does this. But I do want the pairing. I do definitely want the pairing. And then on the subject of Juice Robinson, he talks about his match with Action Andretti and Rampage. What are we doing? I don't know what we're doing. It's not good. No. It's um, not everything needs this level of build. Is it? Is Ricky Starks and Juice on Long Island next week? Yeah. And it's just like, well, let's assume that Ricky Starks wins and it's over. What was this for? Or it's because there's somebody else from Bullet Club coming in. Well, that's the thing. If it had a grander purpose, I would be more inclined to believe in and vest in it if Ricky Starks didn't look bored. Yeah. I don't know if they're trying to fake a challenger to keep him ticking, to keep him steady. And they're saying, right, okay, well, if we build juice for three weeks, then that'll make it seem like a bigger deal. I don't know what's going on. I just know that I do not care for it. I didn't like Starks and Andretti as mates when they were feuding with Jericho. I like it even less when they're feuding with juice. Yeah, nah. Like, that's, I, I, it, it's just not cool anymore. feels like a demotion. It's just not cool. It feels like a, like a speculation from me and me alone. I'm not saying anything. It just feels like a demotion by choice. I know you called it a test. And you know, no, I think way. it's a test. Got to get through this test. It's it's not been fun though. No, he's not past it. No, <laughs> no, he hasn't. Uh, oh my god, I loved so much everything that happened match and post match. Because up next it was Ruby Soho defeating via Outcasts shenanigans Willow Nightingale. 
God damn it, right? I'm going to make a comparison here. And again, might be giddy recency bias, right? Willow Nightingale is the women's division Eddie Kingston. And mm. what I mean by that is the two very, very, very different people. <laughs> but Eddie Kingston has got this incredible, it's not an ability, it's an ability. Quality? He doesn't try to do this. Or maybe he does, and I'm underselling how good he is as well, where he just looks consumed by whatever he's involved in. Mm. It never feels like a performance in any way. And Willow Nightingale wrestled this match against her turncoat former partner as if she was kind of devastated that they'd split up, that she was just out for revenge. And between her body language, her facial expressions, her in-ring strategy, which didn't feel like the strategy, I thought she was just tremendous, and she felt like she was living this experience, and it was real, very real to her. She just felt consumed by the grudge. So this really cool um, back-and-forth match, but that undersells it as something that Willow Nightingale wrestled to me like she hadn't thought about a way to win. Mm. She hadn't sort of mapped out these strategies, and if I do that and it fails, I can go and do that. I know that Ruby Soho has got this, so if I can work out this counter... She just scoop slammed her over and over and over again <laughs> to get this like this cathartic rage out of her because she just wanted revenge. She was out for revenge. Um, ultimately, the outcasts um, get the advantage. Tony Storm holds Willow Nightingale's foot by the ropes. I need a separate effusive rant about the post-match. So what were your thoughts on the match? I liked it. Um, I just it sounds like a bit of a patronising take to be honest, but like I really like these like the full contact women's matches, and it's not because like some other women don't hit hard. It's nothing to do with that. It's the fact that it's the best work around. We've seen this a lot in AW. It's the best work around for lazy booking or lazy match placement. I think this is when they just hit hard, like repetitive. But the performance of it was exceptional. I thought not yeah. exceptional. The post-match was exceptional. This is really good stuff from Willow. Sorry, one more thing. I feel like people need to stop saying, Ash is just so likable. It's not untrue, but she works hard to get these reactions. Yeah. She works very smartly, I think, with her. Again, a range of facials and body language. It's one of them things that's coming around quite a bit in wrestling in general at the moment, where people are like throwing around words like uh, organic and natural. And it's like, these people are doing this. Yeah. You know, when they would talk about The Office as being like, oh, like so much of that must be improvised. No. It's really it's tightly scripted. Yeah, yeah. Credit the writers and the actors for learning the lines and then acting in a way yeah. that makes it look improvised. It's like people at the craft. Yeah. And I think that's happening a lot with wrestling at the moment where like you see something good and there's something in the air, whether it's because like WWE has been WWE forever or whether because AEW kind of like lost its way a little bit, it's this idea of like, look at them getting over by mistake. Maybe they're not. Maybe the people are all together working really hard and collaboratively yeah. to make this what it's supposed to be, which is entertaining. Yeah. Um, Soho has been fantastic since her comeback as a face, but especially as a heel. Yeah. Something has really clicked first. Maybe it's one of them old wrestler things where she's found a way to motivate herself because she was hearing the criticisms yeah. of the first run. And post-injury, I think she's been so believable. My one criticism of this, um, and I don't think it's just for the sake of it because we've seen this before, on a show where, like... Agent in Wise, you need to tighten up a bit because this mirrored the Orange Cassidy match where you've got like constant interference, constant interference. At least in the international title match, the referee was at least taken. Like Aubrey wasn't, there was a couple of times she was staring at it. Yeah. And in the international title match, what happened? Orange Cassidy's friends came out to help and nothing's happening here. Like we know now this is a turf war. 
and it kind of made the baby faces look a bit weak for at least not being there to offset the cheating quicker than they yeah. were. So I would like I would pick on that a little bit, but as much as anything, it's because it was shown to me on the same the same show. Yeah. And I, in the opener for that matter as well. With the firm, it was like the heels are cheating. Here comes the baby faces. The heels are cheating. Here, come, here it was just like the heels are cheating. The heels are cheating. Yeah, nobody's doing anything. Where's the faces? That's the thing. It's almost fitting that this was a triumph of the individual performances from the women and not the booking at all, uh, because it was the same redundant finish we've seen for quite some time. Willow Nightingale gets robbed, and then she gets jumped, and then here comes uh, Jamie Hare for the save. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. There are certain things in wrestling. I used this uh, take before when it was getting very, very brawly, like all of AEW. It's like I've stopped believing that people are hurting each other. These are just wild brawls that aren't, they're not laying it in because why would you? It's a big schmoz. You can see a series of like subgroups of factions or whatever just kind of punching each other lightly because no one's paying attention to one thing. It's like, I've stopped believing that in brawls, people are hurting each other. Mm. I don't know how many times I've watched a professional wrestling show in my life and watched a babyface come in and clean house. I've seen it one million times. It happens every single week. And again, it's like, I don't really appraise it as something that's good, bad, or indifferent, or whatever. It's just something that kind of has to happen to make wrestling happen. Mm. A babyface cleans house. Cool. This is, I can't remember the last time I saw a babyface clean house and it <laughs> looked this incredible. Again, if Will Bourne was here, I'd be swearing my head off because that's how I communicate my giddiness. <laughs> it wasn't just the thing I'm going to get to that I love and it's my king. Did you see the backbreaker on air? Oh my Ruby God. Soho. Yeah. I think she just bruised her spine. <laughs> it was like she folded her in half. That was what it was. It was awesome. It was awesome. So that happens. She gets her ear out of there. Backbreaker kills Ruby Soho. Tony Storm tries to anticipate the attack. Jamie Hayter. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like swings for the fences. (laughs) She throws a lariat in the direction of Tony Storm, who, for her safety, God help her, has ducked. Because... Jamie Hayter throws this lariat like she would have decapitated (laughs) Tony Storm. And there is so much behind it, right, that she propels against the ropes and almost Cactus Jack takes her ear off. Yeah. That's how much force is in it. And then she rebounds backwards. If Tony Storm didn't duck, like, they'd be... She'd have a concussion at the very least. She might have been dead. It was so good. And I say this all of the time. Throw something, even if the spot calls for the other person to duck or to counter, like you're going to hit it. Because I want to believe in its own silly context that wrestling can hurt or whatever, or you're actually fighting in this weird, deranged, predetermined form. God damn it. This was one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) It was everything I want out of wrestling, and Jamie Hayter is worthy of this button. One more time. Oh, my God. What worked for me of just how effective that save was as well was she's just, as you say, nearly decapitated Tony Storm. And then how much... Uh, oh, I missed the bit where Riho came out well, and was going to get sprayed. Well, I was just going to say, like, how much gravitas does that add to the moment where her and Riho have this little moment of tension followed by, right, well, we're going to fight for the belt, but we're on the same team in the, the 
wider story here. But like Rio, as usual, can use her size or lack thereof to a tremendous advantage. And she has just seen Jamie Hayter throw that lariat. Like right there, in person, in the flesh. And now they're having their moment together. We as viewers have just been reminded of who Jamie Hayter is. And you know Rio can do, and she can overcome a size disadvantage and a power disadvantage and all the other disadvantages that should theoretically... What if Rio, what if she, what if Rio doesn't duck? Yeah, that's that's exactly what you were left to think for just a second. She's it's just like, just there's, there's Rio, all like 85 pounds or whatever, and it's just gonna, like... She's going to disintegrate on impact. <laughs> yeah, just like the, when Buffy would like stab a zombie and it would just be like gold dust. Yeah. That's, well, that's Rio then. That's her finish. Yeah. But like if uh, Jamie Hitter does that, then she's kind of actively... They have to grapple with the fact that they've got to have this hard-hitting, kick-ass match and then come together again. They've, like, developed mutual respect. So even if one of them is now... Car- Jamie Hayter has theoretically got to try and injure Riho and then help her heal so that they can fight the, the good fight. Yeah. It's great stuff. It's so good. Like, again, it's... I, when I was making the case for AEW to do six pay-per-views a year instead of four, it says a lot of this quite samey angle advancement that if you just cut off three or four weeks, mm. then it wouldn't feel as redundant. This was on paper. If I'd have seen this written down, I'd have went, ah. Yeah. In execution on that screen, it was electrifying. I could not have loved this more. Proper um, macromargin minutes stuff. Macromargin minutes. Jamie here. Put some circle on her state. God damn it. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Why can't get me one of those buttons? Oh my god, I want to take my goddamn hat off. As opposed to want to take my hat off on Twitter, you know. <laughs> you got a bingo button on JR's voice? Bingo button. A bingo button. I said. Bingo! I want JR to get me one of those. Not my old colleague Taz. I want to get in JR's voice. Bingo! <laughs> I mean, folks, where's the line? Where's the line? Time to run my gang. <laughs> well, bloody good quills. <laughs> ah, I just met you. <laughs> Here's my number. Call me, maybe. We've asked to stop doing that, Jim. And the I'm trying to give advice to young, young pups. I want to give him my car. <laughs> and in a lovely. Good, but more lovely main event. Cole beats Daniel Garcia. Um, so they do the thing that they have to do because Garcia said, I'm going to do this. I'm not an idiot. The best and most efficient means for me to win, and I'm callous, is to just really go after your head. Mm-hmm. The pile driver, I thought the placement of it was as good as it could possibly have been, um, but it was never going to, it was always this sort of, the predictable in the kind of worst way because Garcia had to do it. You knew they were going to do it. It made no sense not to do it. But they did the pile driver and Adam Cole had to sell the head. Yeah. And it, I don't know, I just because I knew they had to do it, it didn't feel like this transgression. But something did, and we'll get to that imminently. So they do that. Adam Cole does a great job selling, but you just know that it's not this really real thing. Yeah. Once Cole gets into the match, we get some liquid professional wrestling. There's this Panama Sunrise counter that leads to this chess game. Garcia gets the advantage, but Cole fights his way back into it, eventually lowers the boom, wins the match. It's 10 minutes. It's not the best Adam Cole match you've ever seen. None of this matters because it's just 
the reaction that he got, him basking in people genuinely. It was one of those things, right, where I don't care about appearing like an earnest, corny nerd when I say this. Wrestling can be special, and it can, in fact, restore your faith in humanity because there are so many people gathered under one roof just so delighted that a really nice human being has got this second chance yeah. at his dream job. This is just so moving to me, um, even if it wasn't, like, the best match. It was pretty damn good. Um, what thoughts on the match before we get to the post-match? I thought this was good, not great, but I will say this. I like it more now, having watched um, All Access because I live in America, apparently. Um, of having seen that, and underst- you've, you've, you've just flown back. Just got back, yeah. I borrowed Stax's plane because yeah. he's already out there getting yeah, ready yeah, for yeah, stand yeah, and yeah. deliver. Thank you. Uh, having watched that, I understood more what was happening here, which was like I thought we were going to get one version of Babyface Adam Cole and we got a different one, basically. I thought we were going to get this guy that cut the promo back in January, whenever it was, at the forum. And he was like, call an ambulance, but not for me. It's like, wow, like cocky Adam Cole can be babyface. We wanted this. We were willing this into existence in NXT, and we never yeah. got it, right? And then the match happens, and instead you get very sympathetic head injury, Adam Cole, and that's where we're going to go. That's fine, but I didn't feel it quite as much until after I'd watched All Access. And then you remember, as we talked about at length, this was always going to be Adam Cole in the main event to feed into All Access. These things are one and the same right now. It's an Adam Cole, Britt Baker, couples vehicle, you know, good people have, living their good life. And they really lay on the sympathy on all access. Adam Cole's very difficult road back to this moment. You're watching them in reverse. But having watched that, I feel so much more for Adam Cole. It's done such an effective job for making me hope he's all right. Yeah. The new the new sort of babyface feeling is one of, oh, God, please just let him be fine. And that's just as an effective thing to connect to in the context of a wrestling match. And Jesus Christ... Oh my god! And off the back, and of I mean, <laughs> <laughs> different, different undisputed era. Oh my god! Oh my god! Adam Cole's gear, right? Uh, the oh my god! The black and yellow, and he wasn't even putting over the franchise. <laughs> he was, of course, dressed in Britsburg colours, wasn't he? Yeah. Because then you know you're going to watch these two and how they've like supported each other and how Britt Baker has got him through this. He said as much, but it's going to be laid on thick for the benefit of the show. And there he is, in like in his Britsburg gear, and he looks unbelievable. Like, yeah. he, all, like, he fit so well in NXT, didn't he? Because the black and gold always looked really good on him. He just, he looked great, and it's like, it's Adam Cole. Like, I'm watching it thinking, like, well, that's like something that's, like, going to make my wife glad she married me again when I show her this over the weekend, because yeah. Adam Cole's back. Yeah. Like, I'll see a fit here, and here's the thing, to sort of tear up what I know you're going to talk about next. The thing I was most cynical about instantly when Garcia's name flashed up on the Tron last week it's something I don't hate as much as I did. I don't anymore. hate as much as I did. Oh. So in the post match, Garcia's been rocked. Um, the stream has come down. What an amazing touch. There's five minutes, so you think, angle alert. Yeah. And then you get wrong footed and you think, oh, beautiful moment alert. Mm. Um, the stream has come down. Britt Baker comes down. She embraces Adam Cole. They kiss in time with the boom. Yeah. Very cute. It's all so lovely. And then Garcia's like, looks rocked. It's just been hit in the back of the head. And Jericho, Chris Jericho, comes down to take Garcia out the ring. And as he walks back up, he just kind of looks back as if to say, should I chin him? Yeah. And then he goes, no, he's having his moment. He's having his moment. This is interesting because why didn't he chin him? What's it going to take for him to chin him? So there's actual, there's a hook here Mm. in terms of where the character is at and why he didn't do it and when will it happen as opposed to, oh, I hate you, you're really popular, 
Um, Hager next week on Rampage. Menard on the dynamite for five minutes. There's a different way immediately of approaching the story, which I found interesting. Of like, he doesn't want to do it, but he did have no compunction over. And this is they've canonized the sentiment, the anti-Jericho sentiment. When the streamers had barely stopped coming down from the ceiling, Adam Cole's moment that he's wanted for the last nine months, Jericho gets in the middle of it. Yeah. Like, so inspired of what everyone thinks of Chris Jericho right now. Um, I'm into this. I am into this. I think that's it. I think they captured, as you say, they've captured the emotion. They're all too... uh, Chris Jericho himself is aware of it. Of course he is. If he sees the frigging... CM Punk's Instagram post got deleted in time for him to post a Matt Hardy delete things. He's online and he knows what to like. He knows what people are saying. He knows. He, he knows the buzz. He, the amount he, of times he quote tweets "Go f your ass" when yeah. people say, "Are oh, you hogging?" Yeah, like there's a you're a cloud vampire. Everyone goes in the Jericho vortex. He knows it because he quote tweets it. And yeah, gets very mad online about it. He sees it out there, and it's obviously whether or not he decides to do anything with it. And this feels like a creative direction for that. Yeah. It's an outlet at very least. And again just to sort of go back to the, the type of babyface Adam Cole is about to play, for the time being at least, like we're now going to be instructed to worry about his head, the state of his head for the next several matches. And there's a Judas effect coming his way. And a bat. And a bat, yeah. It's stuff like Jericho's at some point going to target the head. This struck me, and I haven't seen this out of Jericho in a while, and I think that's maybe why I like this more. Jericho's been such a... Because he's all those things you've just described. He is a clout leech, and he is all these sort of things. I got a little bit here of Chris Jericho on the verge of turning on Shawn Michaels in 2008. Less of the overt clown stuff, and this one might get a little bit darker. Yeah. And I think I'm ready for a little bit of Derek Jericho. Derek Jericho. You never would have imagined him putting his suit on and saying words like recalcitrant. Yes. But maybe this is, could be like, and without going the full serious man, maybe this is the one, because he did pull that kind of face, didn't he? He's like, yeah. oh, that's not right, not tonight, but. I not, did like not the idea of what's it going to take but just been a while since he's underplayed anything. Yes, <laughs> like literally anything in his goddamn life. <laughs> uh, no, I thought it was a really strong end of the show. Um, the feelings back, the powers back, the trifecta's back. Oh my god! Were you as enthusiastic as both myself and Hamlet on yeah. the same page uh, for probably the first dining out this year, where we've both were like, "No, this is the absolute one of the best ones they've Aye. done." Um, it was fantastic. Let us know your opinions on the Twitter link um, to this post um, at WhatCultureWWE on Twitter. Whilst you're there, you can follow Michael Hamlet at Michael Hamlet. You can follow me at M Sidgwick. Um, as I mentioned, touched on yesterday, the podcast schedule is going to look entirely different over this weekend. Good um, different, though. Good different, though, because um, Adam Wilborn and the crew are uh, over in America. They eventually got there, so it's going to look a bit different, but very cool, very unique, some location-specific stuff, some really cool live perspectives. Yeah. Um, I gather, maybe not instantly, but a lot of interviews will be mm-hmm. going up because I think the plan is for them to hit Wale Mania and WrestleCon. Uh, so you're going to get some wrestlers' perspective, some live fan perspective, live analyst perspective. Um, so look forward to your podcast feeds. And tomorrow... We might treat you with a little dadly surprise. Yeah, that sounds good, doesn't it? I Let's do that. I don't, I don't want to preview Rampage. Oh, yeah. Well, we're never going to review it. No, I that's true, think, yeah. So. We'll, we'll pull something together. We'll, we'll see. Like the, This is going to be the last pod before WrestleMania, isn't it, that we're going to do? So we'll, yeah. we'll think of something nice. So to tomorrow, do. maybe, I don't know. Probably questions you want answered. <laughs> uh, but, but again, thank you for taking time out of your day. 
Um, we always completely appreciate it. Sometimes we can't slap the like on your comments. Sometimes we can't respond to everything. But just be sure that even if we get to it or not, we're always so grateful um, for your engagement and listens. And have a great day. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.